Hi, I'm Adam Shepherd. And I'm Jane McCallion. And you're listening to the IT Pro Podcast. This week, we're talking multi-cloud and why organisations' journey to a multi-cloud world may be more difficult than they expected. While you're probably familiar with the idea of hybrid cloud, using a combination of private and public infrastructure for data and workloads, multi-cloud specifically refers to an architecture that uses the services of multiple public cloud providers. Some IT leaders have rolled out a multi-cloud strategy as a result of a deliberate decision, but many businesses have found themselves with a multi-cloud environment by accident, moving into different clouds in order to take advantage of the specializations of individual public cloud providers. However, orchestrating a successful multi-cloud strategy can be more of a headache than it's made out to be, and some organizations have found themselves faced with spiraling cost, unexpected silos, and issues of sprawl as a result of expanding into multiple clouds. So why is multi-cloud proving to be more difficult to implement than many had assumed? And how can organisations make effective use of it without tying themselves in knots? Joining us today to talk about how to negotiate the challenges of a multi-cloud strategy is Ed Hoppett, VMware's Director of Modern Apps and Cloud Native Platforms. Ed, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome. Yeah, great to be here. So what does a multi-cloud architecture look like in reality? I mean, what's the mixture between private cloud, managed private cloud, on-premise, public cloud providers, AWS, Azure, et cetera, et cetera? Um, from, the, from the viewpoint of the customers that, that I end up talking to, what we're seeing is, um, actually, no, let's roll it back. Let's roll it back to when VMware first, first set up, right? We were dealing with the problem of service brawl, right? The problem that for every new application, some little project team would go and buy themselves a new server, they'd install the application on that server, and then they'd hand it to someone in operations and say, you've got to go look after my, my app on my server. You know, that quickly gave way to a plethora um, of products to help manage that service brawl. As virtualization appeared, we moved to VM sprawl, right? Now it's much quicker and easier to deploy. Um, I'll have a VM and you know, an industry built up around managing the, the, the new problem that had been caused, which was VMs everywhere. Today, very quickly as people are demanding speed out of their IT organizations and, and particularly speed out of developer organizations, people who previously would have just gone to internal IT are turning to the first and nearest thing they can get their hands on to get access to infrastructure resources and application services. And so what we're seeing is uh, effectively a public cloud sprawl as an evolution of, of IT's desire to grab hold of the nearest convenient thing to fix the problem for this week's application launch or release. And so companies are very quickly finding themselves in this multi-cloud world um, of a set of siloed, nightmare to manage, vendor relationship challenges, architectural challenges, problem of consuming IT from all over the place. It sounds a little bit to me like uh, perhaps multi-cloud is a new name for an old problem. It, you know, it sounds a lot like cloud sprawl, which previously was called shadow IT, which, you know, and on and on back to the dawn of um, cloud computing. Am I being a terrible, horrible cynic? Um, <laughs> or is it a fair <laughs> observation? Well, I think, it's a, I think it's a completely fair observation. Um, I, I, I don't think I could have put it better myself if I tried. You know, when I, when I think back to my days of working in IT operations, and, you know, although I sit here today, um, doing what I do for VMware. I've, I've racked and stacked servers, I've drawn network diagrams and all sorts. Um, I used to refer to my internal customer, you know, maybe 10 or 15 mm. years ago. And, and, and as the IT architect, you know, I, I, I 
read publications, I'd learn lots, and then I'd go and design a platform, and I'd go to my internal customers and go, here is the platform that thou shalt use. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is the blessed platform, and I am very smart, uh, and I have designed it for every eventuality that I can think of. But the reality was, I didn't have an internal customer. I had an internal hostage. Because 10 or 12 years ago, they couldn't go anywhere else. There was nowhere else they were going to get IT from. And what you're seeing today with multi-cloud is this realization that suddenly my internal hostage needs to be treated like an internal customer. Because if I can't deliver the services that they want from internal IT, there is now a true marketplace where lines of business and organizations can go and consume those services from somewhere that, that may not even be understood by the internal IT organization, let alone governed, managed, or controlled by them. And, and that's what's driving multi-cloud, right? The desire mm. to get access to stuff fast. Mm. But that sounds, honestly, like a bit of a problem. You know, if you have different lines of business units opening up, you know, different public cloud uh, environments and deploying different cloud tools into the organization kind of almost at random, you know, you it, it seems to me that you will end up with a, an environment that has no structure or rhyme or reason to it and becomes very chaotic very, very quickly. Well, that depends, doesn't it, on who you are within that organization. If you are the line of business that's charged a team of developers to go and get a, a new application to market quickly, and they've consumed what they perceive to be a small slice of some AWS capacity, to deploy that, there's no problem at all. You know, there's my app, self-contained. I don't understand what the issue is. The, the problem that you're alluding to comes at the point that you try and build um, an enterprise architecture or a, or a strategy around how you're going to get best value from a cloud strategy or how you're going to choose the right cloud for the right reason as opposed to it was, oh, it was the one that I used in my last contract, so I figured out how it works. We'll, we'll use that this time. That's where the problem occurs. As you start to scale it out, it's simply not practical to have every single IT project running to go and get their own cloud resources in their own way. Mm. Mm. So we're talking about this at the moment on, for want of a better word, a, a macro scale, looking at individual teams or departments kind of opening up uh, IT projects and using cloud resources in order to develop them. And on that scale, I, you know, I can understand why it wouldn't seem like this huge issue but let's let's scale it out a little bit and look at the the full scope of how this problem can affect large enterprises when this is the case how many different cloud services or not even necessarily cloud services particularly about how many different infrastructure services would you expect to see in this kind of situation and you know what kind of challenges can that present Across most organizations, you'll you'll end up seeing the the hyperscalers in, in a number of places, right? So the AWS, Azure, Google's, um, maybe an IBM or Oracle playing. Um, what's interesting, though, is that most organizations, they, they, they actually lack insight into understanding which, which other bits and pieces of clouds. Um, and if you wanted to, you could also actually pull SaaS services into those clouds as well. And so getting, getting an understanding as to how much is being used is actually really, really challenging. Um, what is interesting is that the, the, the challenges with using them, right, so the operational challenges um, are, are pretty common, right? Um, actually, VMware did some research recently 
And you know, 63% of people said it was inconsistencies that caused the problem, right? I'm, I'm, I'm mm. tied to something. Mm. Um, you know, almost half of the people surveyed said that they didn't really understand the cost considerations. Uh, and almost half said they, they, they didn't really understand the challenges around security concerns. And so what you see happening on the grand scale is whoever in the organization, be it the chief information security officer, the chief financial officer, the chief information officer, for whom the buck stops for things like security and commercial elegance, they start putting pressure on IT organizations to effectively get their house in order and say, look, you know, I don't who it was with. We went to a customer who was, had a, basically a shadow IT problem. Mm. Or rather, they didn't think they had a shadow IT problem, but, but the chief financial officer suspected that they did. Mm. And what they did was they ran a report on the expenses system for people buying AWS services on their credit card. Um, and in the process of running a single report, immediately concluded that they had a massive shadow IT problem um, of, of people just going out of band to get services that, that the mm. company had no control over. That's big data at work just there now, isn't it? Mm. I feel um, it might just have been a spreadsheet, actually. <laughs> well, it's all a matter of how you look at it. One man's big data is another man's spreadsheet. Um, so, I mean, we're talking here about uh, managing multi-cloud, whereas what we're now terming multi-cloud is very much something to be fought against in the past. Is this an acknowledgement a, like, um, a bit like hybrid cloud that okay, this is a reality we have to work with and work within. How do we go about, you know, kind of solving for that rather than solving this problem? Yeah, I think we have to accept that, you know, there, there could be a whole bunch of compelling reasons for why you might want to migrate or build a particular workload in a particular public or private cloud environment. Um, and anyone who who thinks that the answer to cloud is to go to one of them is, is probably sorely mistaken. Mm. Um, you know, and so you know, what we're seeing is to combat that in sort of instead of an ad hoc siloed cloud adoption, we're seeing organizations take much more strategic approaches to bringing the benefits of multi-cloud to multiple teams. So focusing on effectively the IT organization stepping in and saying, well, look, what are the services that we can avail ourselves on from this cloud or from that cloud? And what are the services that we're gonna focus on for our private environment as well. And, and the biggest benefit about that and having a consistent way of doing it is that you can build consistent tools and consistent management that treat those clouds as endpoints, right? And it's the, that gives you the flexibility to pick the right environment. And funny enough, I was, I was talking to Adam just the other day on, on, on an article we were working on. Um, and, and I talked about that the real challenge of the CIO is answering the question, what should I run where and why? Mm. And, and, and that that's the crux of this, right? It's, it's understanding what's the right place from a technical perspective and a commercial perspective to choose to run a particular workload or migrate a particular service to. We're going to take a short ad break now, but when we come back, we'll be talking about the impact of multi-cloud on workload portability and what it is you can do if you find yourself in an accidental multi-cloud situation. See you after the break. Welcome back. Now, we've spoken quite a lot so far about the advantages of multi-cloud and you know, the reasons that multi-cloud is adopted within the enterprise. And one of those I wanted to dig into a little bit more, which is portability. So the ability to move applications and workloads 
between different clouds. What impact does an unplanned multi-cloud development, you know, that's grown up through shadow IT and some of the ways that we've talked about, what impact does that have on workload portability? Well, the initial problem that it tends to cause, if you've ended up sort of organically ending up in this world, is that you don't have any. Um, you know, at the very least, uh, you're going to have to do some sort of uh, application refactoring if you want to move your service into, into another cloud environment. But I think actually you need to take that question back a stage further, right? Which is why why do you want portability, right? Because very often I hear people talking about, um, oh, you know, I'm going to V-motion my workload into the cloud on Sunday and then on Tuesday afternoon when I get cheap power from somewhere, I'm going to V-motion it into that cloud and I'll follow the sun and get cheap power around the world. And I think the reality is people people aren't, aren't looking for that level of portability. I think when we're talking about portability, uh, we're talking about... Um, you know, I work in a financial services regulated environment and they've asked me to demonstrate that I could move to another cloud and move the customer data within 30 days. Um, another good one would be uh, I'm using a public cloud at the moment that's happy for me to host um, e-gaming or gambling services, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what if that cloud changed its opinion on that or changed its mind on that and, and actually said, you know what, we're not going to allow these services to run anymore in our cloud environment. Yeah, that would that would that would force a move, but they tend to be planned moves. They don't tend to be. I woke up this morning and want to move something. So, so the freedom to move workloads to any cloud at any time without incurring a penalty is is a really important attribute of a multi-cloud environment, right? What it gives is it gives choice. It turns the clouds from being a series of individual silos that you have to choose which one am I going to run in, almost at the point of, of placement or deployment. If you could have a strategy that said, I can either deploy seamlessly across the clouds, or even better, I can move the core business logic between the clouds, and then I can take advantage of the native cloud services for the one that gives me the best stuff, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, at the moment, Azure might be giving some amazing AI and ML services. And then six months down the line, maybe Google comes up with something much, much, much better. Or, or the recent announcements that VMware made, right, with NVIDIA around virtualizing GPU. Maybe, maybe actually on-prem becomes an interesting option then. How do I move those workloads so that I can now choose my clouds based on the services they're going to provide me rather than a set of lowest common denominator features that I need to get access to in order to maintain that portability equation? Yeah, that's the challenge. Yeah. Is data accessibility sort of a question as well? If I've got a workload running in Azure and I've got one running in AWS and they're doing their own thing, but maybe I'd like them to talk to each other or you know, to have a bit more visibility over them. Uh, is that a consideration as well when it comes to multi-cloud and multi-cloud management? Yeah, so I often talk to customers about, you know, to risk of throwing in another phrase, hybrid applications, right? An application where different bits of the app are going to live in different places. And, and we often see this where sort of the back-end systems of an application will be in a private cloud in an on-prem estate. And then you want to either take some public cloud services and point them at that data. So maybe you're going to use Kinesis from AWS to go and ask some questions about data you couldn't ask on-prem. Or maybe you want to build a, a super lightweight scale-out front-end that's going to be able to address a digital channel to market. Yeah, at the point that applications span multiple clouds, now you're into a whole incremental world of pain above the problem of, well, before I had a bunch of disconnected silos, now you've got the problem that I've got a whole bunch of disconnected silos that in order to deliver a customer experience, I have to connect up and treat as one. 
whether that's from a security standpoint, an audit, a governance, control, management, performance standpoints, right? That starts to get really complex to manage. So should organizations who found themselves unexpectedly in a multi-cloud scenario think at all about consolidating some of those clouds down into a smaller subset of providers or maybe even one single provider? So I, I think to try and get to one single provider is probably um, trying to fit a round peg into a square hole. There were probably some good decisions made around why some of the clouds were chosen. What, what I advocate when I talk to customers who find themselves in this problem is, is look at where your control plane sits and look at where governance sits. Because that's really the, the, the biggest challenge to this, this multi-cloud sprawl, right? Um, most people are, are there already, right? Um, VMware did some global research into app modernization and multi-cloud. And of those interviewed, um, almost 50% had been working on, on some sort of cloud migration project, effectively like what you're talking about. How do I consolidate this stuff down for three or more years? Right, that's a long wow. time to have probably not delivered a solution to the problem. So, so I don't think the solution is to try and consolidate. Um, I think the, 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 certainly the solution from from VMware's perspective would be to say, well, what if we could give you um, effectively one common way of running services across those mega clouds that that might well be an extension of the way you manage on prem today. And now you can use that common layer, right? We call it vCloud Foundation, but it doesn't matter what it's called. If you had a consistent way of moving workloads between the clouds, you could then choose the cloud you wanted to consume the native services from that cloud, which let's face it, they're the things that are offering real differentiation between the clouds. Mm. So Ed, if you've already got an unplanned or a disorganized multi-cloud estate, or even if you are deciding to embark on a multi-cloud strategy, how can you make sure that it's more manageable, whether that's reorganizing or getting in mind, first of all, how you're going to organize it? Hmm, that's a good question. I'll, I'll explain this from the, from, from the, the, the angle that the VMware would take, right? Mm -hmm. uh, after all, you know, they've got to talk about them at some point. Um, <laughs> you know, VMware's focus is that what we want to do is the majority of the customers who have the multi-cloud problem have a private cloud platform as well. And the chances are that platform is built on um, VMware's vSphere or, or VMware's VMware Cloud Foundation platform. What we've been doing is working with the mega clouds to try and help them solve this problem, which is that there's no common control plane that exists across cloud environments. There's no common way of moving workloads between them. And so with the announcements we've been making for things like VMware Cloud on AWS and Azure VMware Solutions, the same with Google, the same with Oracle, same with IBM, et cetera, et cetera, is allowing you to pave that same um, software-defined data center stack that you've got in your on-premise state across those clouds, right? So what that means is that I'm effectively turning cloud from a place or a series of places, right? Because we've all heard people say, I'm going to go to the cloud, we're going to Azure, I'm going to go to the cloud, it's going to be Google changing that view from a cloud being a series of places to cloud being a platform, a consistent platform that's an extension of what I've got on-prem, right? And if, if you want to get technical, uh, you know, when I look at an, a VMware cloud on AWS environment, which is VMware software running on AWS hardware, I just view it as another cluster of compute, just like my on-prem stuff. But what it means is that I've now got consistency across those environments. Right. So that gives me seamless workload portability and the ability to offer a single operating model across clouds, whether you're running VMs or containers. 
that means that I can now start to bring some control and constraints around how I get to cloud. And for those people who are currently consuming services on-prem and want to move to cloud, it also gives a very quick way of getting those workloads into a public cloud environment. Because ultimately, you're going to have to make a technology choice somewhere. If you accept that the cloud's effectively a proprietary, right? There's, there's no natural ability to move from one to the other. You've got to look for a control plane to simplify how you're going to manage them. I mean, I do think to an extent that we are maybe overlooking something fundamental here, which is containers, such as Kubernetes is obviously the, the big deal at the moment. Is this not more manageable by just putting everything into a container using something like, like Kubernetes and then it doesn't matter that you've got a dozen different clouds? Well, you see, the great thing about containers and Kubernetes is they present a consistent developer experience but every single Kubernetes platform out there has a totally different operations experience. And so now you're back to square one again, that you're trying to connect together multiple different operational experiences to act as one um, with seamless network security, policy governance management, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and you're back to the same problem, just with a new abstraction stuck on top of it. So the real sense that I'm getting from this conversation is that it, almost doesn't matter how many clouds you're in, how you got into them, and what you're using them for. That essentially, you know, so it seems, is not really a problem so long as you have a consistent management layer underneath it. Yeah, but the chances are you're already there, even if you haven't figured it out yet. The chances are that your, your organization is probably multi-cloud today. The organization that's the one that's going to get in trouble is the one that doesn't realize it, doesn't start to wrap its arms around it from an IT perspective and ensure that all those things that the CISO, the CIO are going to care about, security, governance, uptime, reliability, aren't being looked after by a whole bunch of individual projects and are being looked after by someone with an overall view on it. Right. But when you look at stuff like cloud health from VMware, right, the focus of which is to help people answer that question. What should I run where and why? You know, the insights that you can get to help you choose where to place something, why you might want to place it there and what the benefits are going to be to place it there were the reason that we, we actually bought the product. Right. We acquired cloud health a couple of years ago because we had a multi cloud problem. We had people burning millions of dollars of public cloud spend. Right. It's not a great thing if you don't have it under control. Mm. We use cloud health to bring it under control. We like it so much we bought the company. And so, <laughs> yeah, I think that's my, 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 my closing piece, right, is, you know, accept multi-cloud. It's going to be there. It's going to happen. Don't stick your head in the sand. Get your head around how you're going to take control of it. Mm. Multi-cloud. Resistance is futile. <laughs> uh, I think that may be the strap line. <laughs> Well, that brings this week's episode to a close, but thanks very much to VMware's Ed Hoppit for joining us. You're welcome. You can find more information on all the topics we've spoken about today in the show notes or on our website, itpro.co.uk. You can also register now for our live webinar presented in association with Quest on how to get the most out of your databases. You can find a link to sign up for that in the description and it will be live from 3pm BST on Wednesday. You can also follow us on social media or sign up to our daily newsletter for more great insights. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.
The IT Pro Podcast is brought to you by the Dennis Podcast Network.